Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every Hello, week. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tej Talks. Uh, today, we're talking about essay, the, the buzzword of the year and of last year and of every training course ever. I'm speaking to Chris Taylor of Low Light Homes today. Follow him on Instagram. Got loads of followers. Um, so his story is really interesting. I mean, in the last sort of year or so he's acquired 15 rent to SA units I think their total turnover was something like 140k total profit was about 45 and he's very transparent about that um he shares some really important tips on how to identify locations the kind of properties you should be looking at and the kind of general tips of what you should and shouldn't do in SA he also shares his his story and his experience which in itself is you know uh, a lesson He's raised, I think it's about £75,000 in joint venture finance, which, yeah, you're thinking, oh, that's that's not a lot. But in the kind of world of rent to rent, where you've got, you know, five to ten grand entry kind of fees, that's 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 a lot. Um, he's working on some really, really cool things in Birmingham. So let yeah, take a listen. Let me know what you think. As usual, if you're loving the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, on the podcast app, on the Facebook page, whatever. There's no adverts. It's totally free to listen to this, of course. So yeah, please leave a review. Chris is also giving out two free mentoring sessions for I think half an hour on the phone. If you want them, email me and I'll, I'll get them set up. Thanks. Chris Taylor, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you very much, Tej. Thank you for having me. No, you're you're most welcome. I think I've been following you on Instagram for a while. I've got follower envy. You got sixteen and a half thousand followers, <laughs> so we're definitely going to touch on you know how can I get to those levels ASAP. Um, yeah. But you know what? For people who who aren't following you yet, and I, by the end of this podcast they will be, like hmm. who was Mr. Chris Taylor before property? Um, it's a very good question. Um, now, before property, I was a person that always wanted to to get into business. Um, I guess it's always been something that I've wanted to do. Always had like idols of Richard Branson and Alan Sugar of what they did and kind of going from nothing to uh, to being a success story like they are. Um, I always wanted to mimic it. I just had no idea of what to do. Um, felt a little bit confused and uh, just didn't have any direction, really. I had no real mentors at that point. Um, all I really knew was to get educated um, through school and college um, and then just kind of fell into the system of just getting into a job. So I joined as a customer service exec for a, for a car leasing company about five years ago, um, worked my way up quite quickly to a kind of like a corporate account management role, um, which was really cool. Um, and I like my job, like, you know, when you, you get comfortable within a position where you've, you've had the couple of promotions that you need, you, you're on good money for your age. I was 23 at the time when I got my, my latest promotion back when I was working for, for that company. And, and I had my company car, my fuel card, I had my bonuses coming through and, I just realized that after a certain period of time that I just fell into a comfort zone and it wasn't something that I've ever really fallen into before. I've always wanted more, but within that position, you just get comfortable working from home and getting into a routine. Um, and to be fair, it, it took a, a, I've never really lost anybody in my family um, prior to this moment, but I lost my, I lost my granddad. Um, and that kind of made me realize kind of how short life is because I was really close to him personally. I say we had such a great relationship. Um, 
but he he just deteriorated so quickly that I just realized that you know what I've got to make sure that I'm leveraging my time as much as possible to make sure I'm doing the stuff that I truly want to do um so I started kind of looking into ways of potentially replacing my income and it was kind of YouTube videos, kind of like free content. I'd, I'd saved up some kind of a good amount of money for a house deposit at the time, um, which I was going to use to obviously go and buy a property. Um, but I started looking at different different strategies of earning money. So like Forex, um, stock mar- into the stock market, um, and, and property was also one of those. And I dabbled in stocks. I still invest in stocks and it, and it, and it goes okay. It's a good long-term investment strategy. Forex is an absolute minefield for me. Um, it kind of filled my gambling habit I had back then. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of fell into property videos really. So I started looking at kind of like some success uh, stories through the property investors network. So it's a couple of young lads that have done really well through there. And I saw their success stories of what they'd done. I was like, okay, well, they're not that much older than me maybe I could kind of do the same sort of thing. So, and um, I came across a third video um, after those two guys and it was actually my auntie and uncle who I had no idea were in property. Um, So my auntie Jo, who runs the Leicester Property Investment Network event, um, which is a, is, is a great event to be fair. I just gave her a message on Facebook to say, look, can we have a chat? I've seen your video. Why haven't you told me about this? Um, How, how do, how do I get in? And um, she kind of directed me down the the pin kind of training network gave me property magic to read um and that book was just completely changed my life alongside rich dad poor dad those two books combination just opened my eyes to property um and then at that point i just threw myself into as much free knowledge that i could get i was very skeptical still i didn't know about all these other strategies at that point um but I think the really important thing was prior to that moment, I just had no property knowledge whatsoever. Literally knew nothing. I lived at home with my mum. She pretty much did everything for me still at that point. And I just thought, you know, I'm going into a world here, which I just believe that everybody needed money to get started. And when you go to these kind of seminars, you kind of go to them and you kind of get absorbed into the positive mindset. They they sell you the dream and, and it's awesome. And, being the skeptic that I am, I kind of left my credit card as I came to this free, uh, this free three-day event that I went on, and decided that I was just going to sit there, or I was going to listen, I wasn't going to do anything but just take in knowledge. And it took about three hours um, into the session, and I'd already bought one course, and ended up buying <laughs> three of them by the end of the weekend. So it's amazing how quick things change. But I guess the thing that resonated with me back at that point is I never really had that kind of fire lit in me prior to that. And I always said that if I ever got that moment in my life where I wanted to start a business, haven't got the idea. So if I ever get the spark, which is that's the idea, I would just follow my gut and go for it. And that's always kind of been really, really kind to me and whatever I've chosen and gone with it. it and it's it's worked out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I paid for a few courses. But the main thing about that pr- property event and it was that I actually met my business partner at that at that point. So um, me and Stephen Fryer, we partnered together. We obviously got, we set up our, our homes company, um, our service accommodation business from that. But it was, it was a thing that we kind of moved into quite slowly. So it wasn't like a clip of your finger at a multiple streams event and, and you partnered together. We did, I'm very measured in the way that I work and Steve's background is very, very similar, but just, he's just a different character to me altogether. 
Um, and he kind of uh, had an engineering background. Um, so he was working at Jaguar Land Rover. Um, he had a very big wage to replace at that point. And, but he knew that his passions lied elsewhere. And he then made the decision that he was going to go to these courses and, and do the same thing that I did, was just find financial freedom. Um, which everything is kind of triggered towards at these events. Um, but that was the point really that that we found kind of our path and, and the direction that we wanted to go in. So I guess, yeah, it's a bit of a background on me and kind of how I came to came to property really. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a few questions on that. So the first one is a lot of people ask me, Ted, you know, which, which course should I go on? And I've kind of only really done one and I, I kind of won that. So I can't really comment on courses apart from what I hear from people but in in your opinion generally speaking did that property course was that payment kind of worth it in terms of did it teach you and get you to a place that you are now or would you say in the kind of social media generation we're in and actually the amount of free content you personally share that people could probably now learn it for free I think they could um yes I think the the reason education is so good when you pay for it i think it's for a couple of reasons um one you become financially committed so free content is very easy to absorb and i find this with a lot of my a lot of my followers they love the content but how many of the the 16000 followers are actually then taking that information and going and doing it because there's no financial exchange there's no financial commitment to it and that's what i needed personally oh, people are all different and um the other thing with free content is that there's contradicting information out there so you could have one person saying uh, one certain things about service accommodation and one go to specifics about it. Um, however, you could have then another person which is saying, saying completely different and you don't need to go down that route. Which one do you choose um, when you're paying for, for education? Because you are financially committing to it, you'd like to believe that what the people are telling you is true. And um, I think speed of the essence was kind of my my reason for paying. It was that um, it was the it was the two day blitz, getting all the all the knowledge that they provided to me, taking it and then just putting it into action, which I think is the most important thing, whether it's free content or pay content. As long as you're actually taking that away and doing what they're telling you to do, then you should be successful. OK. And then how did you and Stephen decide on what strategy you were going to implement? Because, you know, there's 101 strategies. Everyone's saying one is better, one is a buzzword, one's not really that good. Like, how did you narrow it down to do what you're doing? Yeah, um, it took a bit of time, um, a lot of conversations that we had. But I think when you're choosing a property business model, you kind of have two directions you can kind of go in. You have cash flow. Um, or you have kind of asset creation and building up your property portfolio via purchasing and going that way. Um, now, for us, it was all about cash flow. Um, so we kind of had three options. We had kind of the deal packaging route. Um, we had the rent to rent HMO route or we had the rent to rent service accommodation route. And we kind of liked the idea of running a hospitality business. And that's, I think, is the key part to it. Um, because we had that mindset at the beginning, we knew it was going to be like running hotels we were like, okay, well, we've got ambitions to go bigger than just a couple of apartments. So let's go learn the core business and, and obviously just follow the process. And hopefully then you become successful. We didn't know for certain, but that was how we chose. But everything is kind of kind of preferential, really, and all unique to the particular individual that's in that situation. So with deal packaging, um, you can be a completely different person to a service accommodation runner. Service accommodation is known for taking time. 
Whereas deal packaging, it takes time to set up. You've got to go through your compliance. You've got to do all your due diligence. You've got to build your relationships up. It's a completely different world to what a service accommodation world is. So it's just all personal preference, really. And and I think it also depends when you're coming to these events, you kind of buy into the speakers. Um, so we particularly resonated with um, our service accommodation trainer. It was something that we really got on with. Um, whereas at that time, we just didn't feel the deal packaging was was for us at that point, because that's another great strategy. The same with HMO, which, to be, honest, to be honest, didn't get covered on our training day. Potentially, we may have gone for that. Um, but, yeah, I think they're, they're the kind of the kind of the ways that we decide it was resonating with our speaker, um, but also knowing that hospitality was just an industry that kind of lit the fire again, really. Mm. And then how did you decide? So you live in Northampton. How did yeah. you decide what area you're going to focus your business on? Um, so with serviced accommodation specifically, um, we believed that we had to be in the area. We had to be close to the area that we chose. Um, so it was quite simple. It's Northampton where there was nothing going on where I am, or it was Birmingham where Steve is, where it's quite a popular area, quite lively with stuff going on. So our area was pretty much chosen on the back of Northampton's got nothing really going on for it. Birmingham has. Um, so that was kind of how ours was chosen, our particular area. Obviously, Birmingham's a big place and narrowing it down is a different strategy altogether. Mm. But that, that was the initial conversation we had. And then tell me about your first deal. Yeah, so it, um, it it all happened really, really quickly. Um, now, I'm not a massive believer in luck, but we did get lucky because the first agent we spoke to um, liked the idea of what we were what we were talking to them about. They believed in us. They believed in what we were doing. And we saw a lot of people in our area uh, doing two-bed apartments. And we're a big believer in if everyone's doing one thing, let's do the opposite. So we didn't go down the two bed apartment route. We went down a four bed house route. So we went really big groups and let's up the nightly rates and increase the revenues that way. So um, Coventry Road is was our first, first property. Um, it needed. Now, people say, obviously, that you need money to get started in property. And then sometimes you can find the deal where you don't. Where Whereas we kind of found a way to get money. We leveraged our credit cards, if I'm honest. Um, so that initial investment was, I think it was about seven and a half grand um, initially. Um, and we didn't know for certain whether it works. I don't think you can ever say that when you're first starting, you know whether a strategy is going to work for you. But we've done enough due diligence to kind of understand whether there was demand there already and whether we could actually get immediate bookings and there's now a process that we have that kind of sits underneath our business where we can kind of know whether a property is going to work for us before we even take it on so i mean profit wise that that thing has averaged us over the time obviously with sa you have busy periods you have quieter periods but that thing because it's so big the revenues are so high on it it's profited us about 1300 quid a month on average and that's net so it's been an absolute beast of a property, to be fair. And what was it about the location of this place that you thought, yeah, there's going to be demand here? Was it next to a big employer? Is it next to the airport, NEC? Um, yeah, it was. So, I mean, our area is Solihull. Um, so, St Steve, my business partner's background, as I mentioned earlier, is he worked for Jaguar Land Rover. And in Solihull, you have the huge JLR factory. So he automatically had an in there. Um, we also had Birmingham Business Park, which I used to, with my corporate account management role, used to have a lot of relationships with businesses where we used to provide their company cars in there. So again, I just leveraged my relationships in there. Again, we knew there was demand before really 
um, we took that property on. And I didn't know that at the time, to be fair. I mean, it took a few phone calls and a few LinkedIn messages to generate those relationships, which I kind of lost as I left work. Um, but you soon realize when you start pulling the kind of the data together and how you really got going that those things were vital. Uh, and the NEC is a beast of a center, really. Um, it has so many people. The footfall is huge on it. The airport has a huge amount of footfall coming through. And we're not too far away from the city center, we found. People still stay with us when the center's busy um, just because they like the idea of bigger properties. So um, the area is just it has been a great area for us. And there's kind of other areas that we're kind of looking at now all over the country. Where it's like, where can we kind of pick the same thing? And there's a few that we've got in mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. And, you know, with this first property being your first essay, you, know, you said you kind of, you know, got fortunate with the agent. How, you know, when you looked at, I mean, you must have looked at obviously competitors in the area and that I assume there would have been a few. What gave you the confidence to say, well, yeah, we've got competitors. They all look quite nice, you know, yellow pillows, the usual kind of fashionable <laughs> stuff. Like, but ours is actually going to make, you know, money and be better than theirs? Like what gave you that confidence? Uh, the confidence really came from the fact that there was in our area at the time when we started, believe it or not, there wasn't that much. Um, there was about mm. four two bedroom apartments. There was a couple of bed sits, um, just studio type things. Uh, and then there was one four. it was a five bedroom house. Um, it's still there now. It still does very well. Um, and we looked at it and we thought the nightly rates, these guys must be must be kind of taking in is huge because you've got your base rate of two people and obviously where the way that SA will work is the extra people on top of that you add your additional per person per night rate so the bigger the house you can get as long as you can encourage the groups and you have the demand for groups we just looked at that and went you know what we know people that are going to stay in this property with three and four people in so our nightly rates if this guy's booked then we knew the kind of the hours would be um, if we could price it right at the beginning so that's quite a nice tip at the, at the start is pricing slightly below below your market and your competitors at the beginning and giving them the best service you possibly can to get your review scores up to then move up the airbnb and the booking.com listings um, is a great little tip for anyone that is looking to get started because that's what we did and it managed, enabled us to become the top listing on airbnb within two months of the property being live um, which was a great result because you're the first thing people see wow and then you know when you started you know obviously it's still new to it at the, at the time you know what was the biggest challenge because a lot of people say you know essay especially when you start it if you're doing it yourself it is hospitality it's a business it's not necessarily a pure property strategy there's a lot of work there's a lot of check-ins you know there's a lot of being hands-on I mean did you find that or did you systemize right from the beginning no, we didn't systemize right from the beginning. I was lucky to have a business partner that lived close to the properties. So I guess I um, kind of drew the uh, the longest straw on that one. Um, so, yeah, we, we did have a, a, a struggle to begin with with time. We both worked full time. So we had to make it work in between the hours that that we had available. Um, I mean, the property that the first property we took on was a dream. We didn't really have any issues with it whatsoever. Um, there was a one leak I think we had within the first two to three months that the property was running and it, it has run really well ever since. Um, so, I mean, in terms of systems, I mean, that's obviously the most important thing now. We've spent months and months now since since we took on our eighth and ninth unit really focusing on the systems. We made the mistake of not doing it at the beginning. Um, and that kind of then dragged us from filler to post, making sure that everything was sorted, cleaners are being managed, terms and conditions are being signed, ID was being received, all the different things that go in with SA, just making sure that it's done. So, I mean, the biggest challenge really, 
I find was managing time. Um, because SA at the beginning is a very time consuming strategy. I'm not going to be around it. We put in a lot of hours. However, when you've got the goal in mind of leaving work at a set period of in the year, um, the financial figures that you can get from it, you kind of work the longer hours because you know it's only for a short period of time. It's short pain for a, a, a longer gain, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so you had this one, this beast that was, you know, so fortunate and bought you, you know, a very healthy profit and still does. So let's, and how long ago was that? Uh, So that was in May. We took that property on in May. May 2018. Yes. Okay. So we're just under a year since then. Mm. What does your portfolio look like now? We are, it's Wednesday, the 6th of March. Yeah, so right at this current moment, um, we've just secured, which I'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later on, but just secured our latest um, five bed, uh, sorry, five two bed apartments um, block. So that's taken us to 15 units now. Um, so, I mean, with, with SA specifically, it's just about processes. Once you've done it once, we just rinse and repeated it over and over again. And the only thing that kind of delayed the, although we have scaled quickly, which kind of put the stumbling blocks was, okay, we use our credit cards for the first one. Okay, now we now we've proved the credit credibility. We've got it working. We've got the data that sits behind it. Now let's go raise some finance to just keep repeating, 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 repeating. Wow, I mean that's some that's some pretty big growth. And are, are all of these rent to SAs? Um, they are, yes. Um, now with re- with rent to SA specifically, um, we didn't know about. And this is quite important, actually. We didn't know about the tour operators margin scheme when we started, um, which is basically. In simple terms, a cheaper form of VAT. Now, once you take three properties on on a rent-to-rent basis, if they're revenueing around two and a half grand a month, you're going to hit the £85,000 threshold um, within the year. So you're going to have to register for VAT. And within SA, you can't charge that VAT um, to the guest. You can't increase your pricing because normally you're kind of at your highest rate. Uh, Otherwise, why aren't you charging it anyway? Um, So that 20% margin cut when you have to charge VAT or whatever the VAT is i've not actually um know the, the exact figures because we don't we don't pay it and um, we obviously go down toms now but um it was quite a significant chunk of our margin um so we looked at it when we because we didn't know about the tour operators margin scheme at the beginning we thought okay well how can we lower our risk as a business in terms of rent roll and how can we prolong the length of time we stay underneath the vat threshold um so we then started looking into deal packaging um, so I'm good friends with a, a couple of people that are doing deal packaging really successfully. And I've been lucky enough to be kind of, I guess, privately mentored by one who is doing incredible things. So he kind of showed us the ropes on it. Um, and then what we basically did was we deal packaged into a management model. So we set our business up primarily to act as a letting agency, which focused on short term let. Um, so we would package the deals on to investors Um, We were put in place where we would obviously take an introducing fee for taking that. So that was initial cash into us. Um, We would then furnish it, get it all SA ready for them. Uh, But then we had a clause in place which said we will be your management company for a certain amount of time. um, And then we would take a percentage of the revenue from that. Um, So that or now in terms of the way that we negated the risk on it, um, the investor didn't take all the risk on. What we basically said was if we were that confident, we would make rent up. If we didn't, we would cover the gap. Um, so that was the way that we managed to secure finance so quickly because really once the investor had put the initial deal in, we wanted to make sure that they didn't have to do anything else apart from sit there and receive their profits each month. Um, and we'd obviously proven with the properties that we were taking on that 
the numbers were the numbers stacked the the profits were were proving quite lucrative um so it became a simple process just to keep repeating it right okay and then you mentioned you just taken on was it five times yeah. two bed flats that's correct yes what what are the figures going to look like on this once they're up and running you reckon it's been an interesting deal um to be fair so we have taken on five but it has the option to be 40 by july as these new bills keep being completed um so we've got we've got him with one of the biggest developers in birmingham um incredible guy with what he's doing um and each so the way that we've structured it is very similar to the way that we've done our other deals so we package them onto investors and we kind of with the invest because they're investors that we know and we've built good relationships over over time we kind of have a profit share arrangement on that um so they will net around about 700 800 quid a month um so not huge mind-blowing figures um, but each investor is taking on a couple um, and we will basically have a percentage of the profit. So we'll probably net 350, 400 quid a month. And so will the investor on those. So not huge figures, but a nice lump for a, a small investment. Bearing in mind, they're fully furnished. So the investment for them was like three or four K. So it was awesome. Ah, OK. That makes sense. And I think that is the kind of scale that people maybe miss out when they do SA. If you can get in with a developer because new builds are going up in Birmingham a lot and, and well all over the UK you can get yeah. in like that that's a pretty good deal because new builds are nice people want to stay in them they're crisp they're nicely furnished like you said <laughs> they you are. Know, that's the kind of level that I guess people could kind of work to now I have two two questions or two situations that maybe I get asked often the first one is right I have 10 grand of savings mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to get into property. You know, I'm not going to be able to buy a house with this unless it's in the valleys in Wales. Um, <laughs> and then even then you've got sourcing, fee, blah, blah, blah. But they're like, okay, I've got 10 grand. Um, you know, SA or rent to rent HMO is kind of my only route. I don't really necessarily want to pay someone else to do it because I only have 10 grand. Mm. What should they do, Chris, to get, you know, what should they do with that money in your opinion? And I guess it's going to lean towards rent to SA to mm-hmm. make that money work for them. Um, yeah, so we've done rent to SA. I can't really talk about HMO too much mm-hmm. um, because I've not done it. We're looking at it in the future. It's a great acquisition um, and property model. Um, service accommodation is what we know. And we know the difference between a good deal and a bad deal. And I think the real important thing is, is, and when you say 10 grand, I mean, I'm going to assume here that you've got some knowledge around property and you kind of, if you were going to do service accommodation, that you kind of know about it, you would know how to set it up. And you yeah. Would, you, know, the you basics, would go down yeah. that route. So, because otherwise, I'm saying spend that ten grand on education and go learn to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because education for me was the thing that changed my life. And I, whenever I'm speaking to people, I'm kind of encouraging people to do it because, yeah, education can be expensive. And the, the famous saying is soaking ignorance. Um, <laughs> ignorance is a, is a is a bad thing if you um if you do go in blind. But I mean, with with service accommodation, it's all about finding a good deal. Um, so when you're when you go through your education, you learn the processes of deal analysis, knowing whether an area will work, identifying demand, identifying competition, nightly rates, profits that you'll make. With rental service accommodation, it's it's pretty low risk because with your investment, okay, your 10k. If you wanted to get two deals at 5k each, you're probably going to have a thousand pound deposit unless you can negotiate that off, which you're going to get back. 
Um, you may need to furnish the property, which you could do on a lease basis, um, which again, there's securities that you can put in place. So I'm all about taking as little risk as possible. Steve is a bit more of a risk taker um, with the balance between us helps us scale. Otherwise, I'd still be at one unit and probably no units, being completely <laughs> honest, because um, I just was a bit of a procrastinator, I guess, when I started. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about identifying the right deal. Um, it, a H- HMO and SA, you're going to find good deals and bad deals. And it's just making sure that if you're picking an area that you're already finding whether those bookings are going to come prior to you even signing the agreement and taking that property on, that's the number one tip. So identifying demand and actually securing your bookings to put you under pressure to go get a deal. And that that's what's worked so well for us. Okay, cool. Good advice. And I think, you know, with 10 grand, you can definitely get started in, in rent to SA or rent to HMO. Um, it's definitely a kind of good amount. And then my second uh, situation is, you know, let's say I've got a property in Birmingham, right? And mm. um, I, you know, it's a, it's a three, four bed standard, you know, buy to let. It's bringing in, I don't know, six, seven fifty a month. It's netting me uh, 300 maybe a month, you know, good mortgage-ish. I'm thinking, yeah, it's all right. But, (laughs) like, how would I know, like, for example, how would I or you know that I could actually make this into an essay and make double or triple that? Like, is it a case of actually anywhere in Birmingham, you know, close to the city centre could work? Or should I do the kind of fundamental analysis or... Should I speak to someone like you and say, hey, does this area work? What would you advise? Uh, but the two last things that you said there, you should always do your due diligence um, and you should do it personally. It shouldn't be something something you can get advice on, but you should always do it yourself and understand the processes of doing it. Um, now, the way that the way that we go, there's loads of different ways that you can do this. You can look at Airbnb, you can look at booking.com and kind of competitor analysis around the area to see if there's anything currently performing in that particular area. You've got sites like AirDNA, um, Price Labs, which give reporting beyond pricing, I think do the same. They give you like a base report, which gives you a, a good chunk of data to look through. Um, and I think mainly, really, the, the biggest thing that kind of we know, it's not everywhere in Birmingham works, not any, not everywhere in every city centre works. It's um, it's all specific to the market that you're going after. And the vital thing when you when you first when you first start and before you kind of even start looking for the properties is actually identifying who your guests are going to be, um, because you may find that certain guest types where you've got corporate businesses um that they're kind of on a contracted basis to like i know the common ones a technology technology company now they're going to be wanting quite high um high quality apartments or houses within the area they want to be close to where they need to work um now if they want if they want to work from home they're going to need a desk and they're going to need workspace to be able to work from they're probably going to want a nice tv to watch all those sort of things that that particular guest would want um, now that's completely different to Bob, your builder, which is on the construction side, which doesn't really care. The, the site manager just wants to shove four or five people into a into a three or four bed property, be as cheap as possible. They lay their heads, they make their food, they go out, and that sort of property will need a completely different style furnishing set compared to what your high quality corporate would probably need um so identifying that guest avatar will then determine whether that area is going to work for you because if there's no business there it doesn't matter kind of wherever you are you've got to make sure that you're designing that property and putting it in a position where the person that you want to stay is actually going to actually be kind of attracted to your property 
Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like marketing in general. You know, you need to have like an avatar or a target market of who is going to listen to your podcast, who's going to you know visit your yes. website, who's going to buy your product. So same like basics of marketing, right? So I, I looked at the presentation that you you do at networking events, and you were very upfront about your turnover and then your profit. Would you mm. mind sharing with everyone what your turnover and profit has been over the past year? Uh, it's been a it's been a busy year, um, to be fair, with the way that we've gone. Um, now we we hit the six figure mark um, around November time, um, so we've we've hit around one hundred and forty thousand. I don't know the exact number that I haven't got that presentation up in front of me, um, but the exact number I think is around the one hundred and forty one hundred and forty grand mark. The profit number is the one that that we always remember because that's the one that we obviously see coming into our uh, kind of into our paychecks, I guess, which is the good thing, which we either reinvest or or kind of enjoy to live. So I mean the profit by we've net we've netted 45 grand over over that period so it's not like the huge amounts but it's been enough for us to leave our jobs which was the prime primary aim um, mm. by the end of last year but i think what's what's great and that you've shared that and the transparency is you know anyone can say they've got a six-figure turnover they've got a x amount turnover but actually what pays the bills is the profit and i think sa clearly has a a kind of a lower profit margin than say other businesses as you can see the kind of distance from profit to turnover but I guess if you're working with people in SA or you want to know what people are really doing or what's kind of actually achievable ask about the profit because yes everyone has different margins they have different linen suppliers whatever but the profit paints the the true picture which is why I kind of asked you that just to show people you know when they see turnover coming in, just remember to take off all the, the kind of costs and stuff Big off. Time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, service accommodation, there is a lot of expenditure that comes out of the business and the kind of the real simple business model with any business really, isn't it? You have a high revenue and you try to keep your expenditure as low as possible. That generates your margin, right? Um, with SA, the lower that you can keep your expenses, it's going to have a direct proportion to your bottom line. And you have a lot of success stories that come out there shouting about turnover and turnover is really important it's a great way of measuring performance and progress i've got nothing wrong against turnover it's a great it's a great thing to have as a kpi but i think as a from a profit perspective it enables you to justify actually okay i'm going to pay myself this each month which is what we kind of get into business for i mean i i wanted to build an empire but primarily it was to free my time up and the only way that i could do that is by leaving my job so i needed money to do it money wasn't the primary thing but being able to pay myself the wage that at least I was on in my job um, was the only way that I'd be able to leave because I had certain expenses and you always live to what you've been, what you're earning. So, um, yeah, profit is is obviously one of the be-alls and end-alls within business. Absolutely. And you talked a bit about investors before. I mean, roughly how much have you raised from investors in the past, you know, sort of year? Um, yeah, so JV Finance, it's £75,000 that we've raised. Um, so because it's predominantly rent to rent, um, the 15 units that we've got, um, that that finance is obviously funded funded those, um, and because they're smaller investors, um, sorry, smaller investments, um, you can kind of rinse and repeat. And sometimes you've got investors that can go for two or three properties and enabled us to raise that really, really quickly. Um, but it may it means that we can we can scale quickly alongside it. So yeah, that that it's not like your millions of pounds which you see people raise again, but it but it's the amount that that works for our business model at this current moment. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's not the millions of pounds, but in the world of rent to rent where the kind of 
deposit or entry is a lot smaller it's it's a lot of money there's a lot of deals to be had with with that kind of money and that's again something for people who are starting out you know this is has a you know a lower sort of barrier to entry in terms of the investors you could work with are you know different to the ones who have say millions of pounds right and that means they could be easier to access them but again it, it all kind of swings in roundabouts um it does. and so these investors how did you find them Mainly through networking. Um, now, networking for us is split into two things, um, networking events. Um, so we made a, a made a vow when we first started within property to get to as many networking events as we could. We wanted to get our faces known. We wanted to become the, the go-to people for serviced accommodation. We wanted to soak up as much knowledge from the people that are above us. And we wanted to help then the people that are below us get involved with it. Um, so I think we did, I think a total now, we, we count them because it's quite an awesome number. We've done 76 net, uh, days or evenings of networking over the past year, um, which has been which has been awesome. Um, and it's given us, say, a nice nice chunk of finance from that. So I'd probably say that's 75% of the finance that we've raised. Um, the other kind of 25% has come from social media. Now, my following has been something that I've been building for around six or seven months. Um, and it's all been about documenting my journey and giving value to people. Um, but when people see that, they reach out and they, they want to know how to get involved. And it's quite simple. You either learn how to do it or you can invest in the business and, and see how it goes. So um, we treat networking in person the exact same as we do online. So every person that we interact with will get a welcome message from from me because I want to know what they do. I want to know where they're based and I want to know if we can work together. And I think that's the trick to uh, to social media. It's it's using it as one big networking event. Mm, absolutely, and that's that's a monster number of events. I mean, that's more than one a week. <laughs> so that's yeah. I think when we when we did this, so we went away to do like a strategy meeting in August, and at August we've we've slowed down slightly on the networking event over the last what two months or so. But that was at about forty five networking events when in August. So we literally travelled the country. I think we Steve went down in Southampton, and we both went as high as Sheffield. Um, kind of just on the way we got actually got trapped in Sheffield when it the weather was terrible in February and we had to we had to stay over in the hotel there and then drive back at five in the morning to go to work so yeah it was uh, it was good fun the first uh, the first few months what an exotic place to be trapped <laughs> I know right <laughs> I think you know what that really demonstrates the kind of um hard work and you know hashtag hustle that you put in because like you know, it's that kind of thing where people say, oh, I'm working full time. You know, how am I supposed to do this? But actually, you made the time. You created the time. You didn't you didn't sort of say, oh, you know, got to this. Got you like, nope, we're going to make this happen and we're going to do it no matter what. And it takes that kind of um, struggle that people don't see. Right. People look at the Instagram and they they don't they don't scroll down to your first posts when you had no essays. They look at now and they say, oh, I've got 15. I want 15 tomorrow. Like. It's all about scrolling down the feed and looking about looking at what people have done before, because that highlights how you've got to where you are. And that's why I love talking to people like you, because it's, you know, you talk about this and kind of what you've done to get to where you are. Um, and so, like, that's kind of what you have done in property, what you're doing Um in terms of the I want to I want to focus on Instagram. I know you gave some key marketing tips there before, but. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you had to give three top tips for anyone wanting to grow their property 
uh, business on Instagram and they could be as niche or as broad or whatever as you want, what would you say? Good question. You have got me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I would guess the, the top three that I would go for is I actually do a little bit of a talking around social media, actually. I get, get asked these questions quite a bit, so I should know the answers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the one is niche. Um, a lot of people have kind of treat Instagram or Facebook as their place where they just network. Um, they kind of post everything and anything, holidays, business, um, property, if it's property, their dinner, anything kind of and everything that goes onto these profiles. The biggest thing that we say to people is you've got to become an expert in your niche. Um, so if you look at my profile or any of the people that, that we work with, it's that even within the bio, you will know what I do from my bio. And every single post along that is related to what that bio says. So you're not confusing your following or your audience that's there. Um, I label myself as someone that spe specializes within Airbnb. Um, and then you have like your key caption of how you can help people. So our education business is what we're focusing on from, our, from my profile. Um, and it's about giving free value to people. And it's making sure that one, you, you've got some good visual content, um, photos and and videos, uh, the actual quality of them is really important. So when you're kind of going through your profile, and we, we do this with, with certain people that have, that have come through kind of our training and stuff, is you look at the profile and you actually have to go through and blitz all of the stuff that's not relating to your niche. And that's actually quite hard for some people because they quite like having it there. But you can archive it. It's still there. It's just not open to the public to see. And you have a strategic plan in place, which basically sets your profile up to be, OK, let's say it's Ted Talks. It's everything that's specific to your podcast. You don't want to go off on a tangent and talk about something else. People follow you for your podcast. Um, so it's picking your niche and, and staying real structurally to that niche and becoming the expert within it. Um, the, the other two things I would guess is one, treating it like a networking event. Um, I used to get so many Facebook friend requests and I used to accept them. And I just used to just watch what people would do as you accept them. And 99% of the time it's nothing. And that's the same with followers. Um, I... I made a conscious effort to get at least message and introduce myself to every single one of my followers that's on there. Um, and that's personally me. I just love being on social media. I'm a, I'm a complete addict to it. Um, so Facebook, Instagram are the two that I focus on. And I make sure that if anyone connects with me, they at least get a message, just at least sh share what I do. I ask questions about what they do and where they're based to see potentially whether there's any business that we can do. So treat it actually as a relationship builder. Social media is the biggest networking event in the world. You've got access to millions and billions of people if you really try. And not doing that is um, probably the key, uh, the key really reason why people don't have a following is they don't engage with their audience. Uh, and I guess the third thing along that is it's quite a simple thing. If people are actually, and if, you, if you've got an audience which is there, whether that's 100 followers or 100,000 followers, you see people like commenting on certain posts. And if you've actually got a meaningful comment on your post and you leave it blank, that person's probably not going to comment again. So if they've gone out their way and actually trying to engage with you, make sure you comment back because that way you're making that person not just a follower, but a loyal audience member. And you start to build your community from there. your your personal brand often will be 
bigger and more important than your company brand. Like nowadays, you know, yeah. we've all got the website, we've all got the, the logo with the house and the turnkey, blah, blah, blah. All the same stuff. But actually, what makes us different is the person. So don't be afraid to like show who you are as a person. Like I'm looking at Chris's now and he's got a picture of him bench pressing how he didn't reach a personal goal. Him in a <laughs> vest uh, outdoors holiday life um like him on a beach like this is but this is chris right and this like my profile has a picture of me staring at cheese like and saying <laughs> this is happiness like what does that even mean but that's who me and chris are as people so don't be afraid to show some personality because no one wants to stiff upper lip sitting in a suit you know alan sugar old school kind of business person <laughs> they want you know kylie jenner was what is like is a billionaire now or something like yeah it is yeah from from posting what like if you she can do it from doing that then that just shows you that being personal and being yourself is the most important thing um cool we could talk about this for hours the marketing piece for sure um so what are you doing next in property do you want to own some properties we do i mean that is the the main aim we started this business for cash flow uh, but with the aim of replacing income and then going into more acquisition models so we're looking at blocks of apartments we've got a kind of got a dream of kind of building our own apart hotels like a lot of SA providers have um but we also steve's got a massive passion for music and events and it's what he is very very talented at um so we want to kind of merge the two and create um events and social events but also having some high quality accommodation where people can also come have a good time yes because i think there is a market for for parties within service accommodation as long as you can make sure that it's captured and the sound is captured and you're not disturbing neighbors and all that sort of thing um making because we're on about kind of creating a, a big apartment block having the basement kind of then blocked out and then running our events through there so that's the kind of where we're looking at going so we, we're starting to look at sites um that's probably not going to be towards the back end of the year because we've got three businesses now that are up and running and we've got our homes company which is our service accommodation deal packaging and management agency um, we're now training others um to kind of go out there and help us find deals because we're really busy it's the one thing that We've got to, okay, we've got this latest block, which is going to really sort us for a short period of time. But we kind of like the the feeling of helping others. um, And we want to show them that if they follow our processes, how quickly they can kind of mimic what we do um, to kind of go through the same sort of journey that we did last year. Um, And then we have our furniture company um, as well, which um, is fairly new. We've we've just furnished um, kind of 20 apartments over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've got another 10 coming through on Friday and another 10 after that. So that's scaling and again, becoming a bit of a monster. So taming that thing is going to be fun. Systems is going to be really fun for that one. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of ambitions of growing all of it. I mean, I'm a big believer in building my, building the empire. Um, and we're also out there kind of on a mission, proving to people that anyone can build their empire when they're given the right process to follow. What you need to do is just find that process. Mm-hmm. Okay, profit in the process, and mm. uh, you invest in Birmingham now. Yeah. What are the what are your thoughts on the market in your area? Because a lot of people will say, "Oh God, I go on Airbnb, type in Birmingham, the whole place is full of them." You know, they've got all got reviews, they all look great. Again, that kind of fear of how am I going to compete? But what are your thoughts on on that kind of thought, and then also therefore the market in in Birmingham? Yeah, I think saturation is something that's spoken about a lot in our area and when you look at those platforms um airbnb and booking.com it does seem like that um now now for us 
we've kind of been able to, to kind of target our market in a way that we've captured everybody's data. We're remarketing to them. And again, marketing keeps coming up, but it's marketing and sales are the, the cause of any business, really. Um, so we now have a real direct campaign going out there where if we're looking at areas, and again, this is probably a, a tip for people, is we don't rely on Airbnb and Booking.com. It's, it's great to start and it's good to fill gaps. But if you're relying on those portals, any sort of restrictions that get put in, they're the first place that they're probably going to be put in, and followed on. So we kind of like the fact that, OK, we we use us, my sales background, we use Steve's um, project management background to start contacting businesses around all the areas that we're looking at, building those relationships up and actually then trying to get direct bookings within areas, because then what other people have got is irrelevant because you've got the direct relationship with the business. They're coming to you. You've got the contract sorted. And I mean, when you're starting out, Airbnb and Booking.com is the go-to place. It, it always will be. Um, but if you can focus on building those direct relationships up from day one, you're going to be in the game a lot longer because saturation is coming. But you want to make sure that you've got your relationships elsewhere to continue a direct business as you grow. Absolutely. And I think that's something, you know, me coming from a recruitment background, when I looked at SA, I thought, hmm, these travel, you know, these OTAs are great. They do charge a bit of money, but actually the maybe longer term contracts, the less headache are going to be the corporate clients. So let me cold call, let me cold email, let me do what us recruiters do, right? Pester people yeah. to work with us. So I think that's a, a great point you've mentioned with people to kind of get around, you know, that and, and maybe swerve some of the competition. Mm. Chris, we, you know, we've unfortunately reached almost the end of the podcast. <laughs> I, I have my last question before the quickfire round, and that is, what resource slash platform or app or bit of technology can you not live without? Oh, that's, um, that's actually a good question. Um, I would say it was a toss up, I guess, between two. Instagram is obviously one. No, I'm cheating here by having two. Instagram is one because it's it's something that I love doing and it's something that provides business to us so it's great um but i think the best one is audible by a country mile for me i, I literally live on the app because I spend so much time in the car traveling in the gym and i used to be rubbish at reading books like, i i used to hate i used just never used to be able to finish a book um but having the audio has made it so much easier and i can get through books so quickly now and the knowledge that i've taken in from them has been incredible yeah so i mean it's not business related but in terms of knowledge and getting that in audible yeah it's, it's something that i definitely can't live without yeah solid choice what speed are you listening on uh just the normal i've not i've not ramped it up yet i mean a lot a lot of the books that i've read have been by uh by rob moore so speeding <laughs> him up is, uh, isn't gonna be a, an easy thing to keep track of you know what? It's so weird, right? So I listen on three times speed now. So I I get so much in in such a little bit of time. But he's actually the person who actually sounds the easiest to understand at three times speed. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. When I hear like Americans, like the MFCEO podcast or like Tom yeah. Billy or whatever, I can understand them fine. But it's maybe it's the British accent, but there's something about him at three times speed it's really easy to understand him. Yeah, I, yeah. It's weird because he talks so fast, but it's like it kind of slows. He warps time and space. Um, in Interesting that. that. Yeah, I'll have to give it a go, actually. Yeah, I'll give it a go. Give it a go for sure. So we're at the quick fire round. So um, what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made? Hit me. Talk about these a lot because they're they're literally it's the thing that we do uh we do get asked because SA there are a lot of mistakes to be made, um, cleaners 
if you don't get a good cleaning company, you're um, you're going to struggle. To be fair, we relied so heavily on ours, and at the beginning they were awesome, but as we scaled, they they were kind of having to scale with us. And the problem was is that it just wasn't getting done to the standard that we needed. So having a right cleaning team that can scale with the speed that you want to scale is is so important. Um, something that we didn't do right at the beginning, um, but have now managed to get it back on track. Um, second thing is pricing. Um, we priced ourselves, like I say, pretty cheaply at the beginning and we were a bit slow to increase. Um, so if you, with SA, it's vital, like the numbers can change every single day. Hotels change their numbers every day. Um, so if you can't leverage systems to be able to manage pricing because of the cost of it, then you need to make sure that you at least have an hour in the morning, just checking local competitors pricing over the next month or so to make sure that you're not missing out on a, on big money because we left a lot of money on the table last summer which we're looking to claw back this summer um and the third one is not writing processes um processes within sa specifically are probably the most important thing for scaling and it's something that we made a mess of at the beginning we didn't write any of them down we'd left everything in our heads so when it came to employing people and now actually looking to take on well we've got a couple of VAs which are coming on board and we've got two people working for us we've had to now spend we spent the whole of January and half of January and and majority of December writing systems and all that time writing systems you've lost out on so much additional business through deals and all that sort of thing so getting your processes written right at the beginning um, is definitely the the be the real important thing for serviced accommodation. Awesome. I'm going to change the next one now because I know you listen to Audible books. What are your top three books that you've listened to on Audible? Top three books. Um, I've said two of them already, to be fair, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad changed. But literally, I had no clue about property or anything like that prior to reading that. That was the first ever assets and liabilities type book that I read. Um, that was awesome. Um Oh, it's a difficult one. The second one was Property Magic. Um, that was a book that got me into property, so a great book. And then the third one is a toss-up between Principles by Ray Dalio, which has basically formed and given me the kick up the bum that I needed to get our processes written. That guy is a, is a genius. And then Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. That was um, that was pretty epic, also. Awesome. I've I've definitely listened to Principles. His voice put me to sleep a little bit, but it, <laughs> but what he was saying was was epic for sure. Um, and then, what are your top three goals for the future? Could be personal, could be business, anything. Um, so the big goals of the future. So we received so much help when we started. Um, so the biggest thing for us is we've launched, um, and I've talked about it really really briefly, um, our kind of financial freedom challenge. So. Back in February last year, we had no property knowledge whatsoever. That was our first kind of entry point into property. And we're kind of looking from working with people currently to take 30 people this year from no property knowledge whatsoever to kind of repeat what we've done working alongside us, kind of like on a mentoring type thing, I guess, um, to then repeat what we've done. Um, and we've decided 30 because we just picked a number out of thin air, to be fair. I thought, you know what, well, that's a big goal to go for. Let's go for it. So that's a big, big plan for the future for this year specifically is to help 30 people join our challenge and repeat what we did. Um, I mentioned about the apart hotels. Um, we want to go into that market and kind of go into the event space on that. So that'll be quite cool once we've uh, nailed down the site. Um, and yeah, the main, the main thing really is just to keep to keep growing and building the empire. 
Um, we want to start buying property. We want to go into different acquisition methods. We've got eyes on developments, HMOs, but we just need to pick one and focus on it. So yeah, we've got some big plans there and it's just about building those, that asset portfolio now for us. Awesome. Well, Chris, look, we've reached the end of the show. Um, but before you depart us, uh, that sounded quite, quite. Uh, anyways, that was the right choice of word there. <laughs> um, could you tell the listeners how they can like follow what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to get me is on, on Instagram. So yeah, Mr. Underscore Chris Taylor. Um, that is probably the best place to get me because it's the one I'm on the most. Um, you can get me on Facebook. Um, so we're friends on Facebook, aren't we, Ted? So mm-hmm. you just look for Chris Taylor in Ted's Friends. I'm sure you'll find me in there. Um, and then if you do want to um, get in contact via email, whether you want to learn more about service accommodation or whether you want to look at potentially investing within service accommodation, then you can get me on chris.taylor at lowlighthomes.co.uk. So that's L-O-L-I-T-E homes.co.uk. Awesome. And your Instagram tag? Uh, Mr. Underscore Chris Taylor amazing chris all that's left is for me to thank you very much for coming on the show your story is very interesting you've done a lot in a little space of time at a young age i sound like i'm your granddad now but um (laughs) you know well done and like i think a lot of people are going to be really inspired by this and you're probably going to get a lot of emails and and new followers hopefully but um yeah thanks so much no thank you thank you so much for having me it's been uh it's been good watching your journey also and being a part of your podcast has uh been a great privilege mate so thank you privilege is mine (laughs) if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content